Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Improv is like a rush. It's like an adrenaline kick every time you do it because you don't know what you're going to say or what the content of the show is going to be. And it's also really fun to think of different creative ways of structuring a show and how to really bring out different people's skills uh, in an improv show. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? The biggest difference is, for me, in television, the camera can get in so tight that you can do much less. But the heart of it is the same. I agree with that. I think all of that, the truth, the emotion, what you have to do, staying true to the story, all of that is the same. But I find that the approach is different enough that I know people who are wonderful on film and cannot do it on a stage and vice versa. I'd won like Alberta One Act Festival and like little things at my school. I was in the drama in the, in the yearbook and like I did a professional play in grade 10, Lord of the Flies, that I actually got paid for. So I felt like I had a pretty good grasp and I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to knock it out, the, you know, know how to do it. And then I really had to learn how to transition from theater to film. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me is your co-host, Fred Keating. Hello, Marvin. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another one of our themed episodes where we talk to several people on the same topic. Now, the topic of this episode, if you haven't already guessed it from the opening excerpts, acting careers, stage and screen. Well, Fred, each person's path in the creative and interpretive arts is unique, but it's always interesting to talk to performers about their own careers and the various opportunities that arise because of the decision they've made to see what's out there or to capitalize on the kinds of skills and activities they enjoyed as youngsters. Indeed, and it's always interesting to learn about the various revenue streams available to an artist who, by virtue of practicing his or her favorite skill set, becomes active and adept in a variety of roles on both the business and artistic sides of performing. I think, Marvin, we should lead off with your interview with a very impressive improv queen and entrepreneur. Happy to do that. I spoke with Amy Shostak just before a performance in Edmonton, Canada, where she got her start in improv. And she shared how those improv skills have become her passport to adventure in various media, stage, screen, and radio. Amy, tell us about your career. How did you get into this theater business? Well, I started improvising when I was 17 in grade 12, when I was in high school. And uh, after that, I just got really into specifically improv. And then I did a, a Bachelor of Arts degree at the U of A in drama. So that's where I kind of picked up skills directing and some other like technical skills as well. And then how did your career progress from there? Well, I was with Rapid Fire Theater for 14 years, living in Edmonton. And during that time, I became artistic director of that company. So I got to do all the programming and casting and running public workshops. So through that, I got a lot of awesome opportunities to travel and improvise at festivals around the world and teach many, many people uh, how to start improvising. Now that's really interesting. Tell us why improvising? Well, for me, improv is like a rush. It's like an adrenaline kick every time you do it because you don't know what you're going to say or what the content of the show is going to be. And it's also really fun to think of different creative ways of structuring a show and how to really bring out different 
people's skills uh, in an improv show. And, and of course, uh, if you don't know what an improv show is, it's a show um, with no script. So we're improvising the content, the dialogue, how we move, all of that. So this is something that you can actually learn to do. You can, and actually a lot of people take improv classes if they want to actually improve their creativity, if they want to think outside the box a little bit more or gain confidence in public speaking, because the kind of lessons of improv are really applicable to many different fields. So we have people that are, you know, full-time teachers, people that are engineers, scientists uh, in our classes, um, and they really gain lots of awesome skills from doing improv. Now, since that time as the artistic director at Rapid Fire Theatre, you went on to Vancouver. Tell us about your career there. Yeah, so I've been in Vancouver just for a year, so it's still pretty new for me. But um, I've had the pleasure of working with three different large improv theatre companies there, some larger than others. One of them is Vancouver Theatre Sports League, which is a 36-year-old organization, uh, the second oldest theatre sports company in the world. And they do 11 shows a week, which is a lot. And then I also work with Instant Theatre Company, which does mostly theatrical improvisation and Blind Tiger Comedy, which is really looking at improv through the comedy lens. Now, you're one of these live theater actresses who has made the jump into broadcast as well. So tell us about your broadcast projects. I understand that you work in television and that you also work in radio. Yeah, so I've been really lucky, actually. Through being a theater artist here in Edmonton, I've had lots of opportunities. I did a TV show for four seasons with some awesome rapid-fire alumni called Tiny Plastic Men. And it's actually really cool to work in Edmonton because people People just say, oh, I know Amy, let's get her on the show. And in Vancouver, obviously, there's way more people working in the industry, so it's a little more competitive to get into film and TV there. But yeah, I've had the pleasure of playing uh, the character of Rebecca on Tiny Plastic Men for four seasons, and that show was created by three improvisers, Chris Craddock, Mark Meir, and Matt Alden. And then also I, uh, I get to be a guest artist on The Irrelevant Show once in a while. And we actually have a couple tapings coming up in Victoria and Vancouver that I get to do. and. Through that, I actually get to read a lot of awesome sketches written by different comedians all over Canada. So it's a real pleasure. Now, what kind of skills and abilities do you need to bring to those roles? Well, I actually think improv really helps me a lot because improv allows me to be really flexible. And also in improv, we focus a lot on improvising characters. So I'm able to bring some of those character skills to reading for the Irrelevant show or being on the on Tiny Plastic Men. So I feel really lucky that my improv career has kind of launched me into different directions and I hope to continue exploring kind of different mediums as I grow as an artist. Now you have been able to launch your career and get some pretty impressive traction. Can you tell us some of the secrets to actually accomplishing things? For me, I always feel surprised when I get a cool project to do or someone asks me to like emcee a big event or yeah, ask me to be on a TV show. I'm always so honored and I think for me, I don't know, I just feel like humility is a really important thing to bring forward in your career. Just remembering that every opportunity you have is really a gift and really embracing that because I think sometimes people can spend a lot of energy being unhappy with what they have but for me it's always been like I've always been thrilled like people actually want to work with me people want to improvise with me I feel really honored so I'd say for me humility is a big one um, and the other one that's probably tied to that is just always being kind to people, reaching out, introducing yourself, helping them out when you can. If someone needs help on a project, offering that help, being a mentor, if you can be. I think that's a really great way to make connections and get opportunities that maybe you wouldn't have expected. 
you know, someone who's a student in a class can be just as valuable as a contact as someone who you learn from in a class. So I would say that being kind to everyone, trying to listen to everyone's point of view and really respect people you work with, whether they be kind of below you in a hierarchy or above you, is a really great way to just keep getting work. I want to rewind a little bit because a few moments ago you mentioned that there are people in improv like lawyers for instance and what's the attraction and do you actually teach classes to professionals about how to be good improvisers and and why yeah absolutely we teach classes people come for many different reasons the cool thing about improv is that when you're improvising you have to give up control and that's pretty much the scariest thing for most people to varying degrees but in terms of collaboration, and especially in relation to really all art forms, if you are going to be in a collaborative space, um, you need to be able to actually listen to what someone else is saying and respond genuinely. And that's one thing we work on a lot in improv. The main tenets of improv are say yes, be positive, build off other people's ideas, and try and get rid of your fear. And we're all you know, conditioned. Um, fear keeps us safe, but also in terms of creativity, it can really limit us. So um, when people want to you know, if they're in a creative industry like advertising and they're doing a lot of brainstorming, they want to be able to think outside kind of what they normally think about. And in other places, like if you if you want to do public speaking, improv can really help because it allows you to be flexible when things don't go as planned. So really, I think everyone can benefit from an improv class, whether you're a five-year-old or an 85-year-old. Obviously, I'm a big believer in improv, but I think that it really does change the way you see the world and allow you to take risks in a really confident way. People forget that we improvise all the time. This discussion is improvised. The difference is um, when we're improvising on stage, we're in front of people. Or if we're a lawyer at the front of a courtroom, we're performing, we're in front of people. And that's where people often get nervous or get scared. And so it is just practicing. And the more reps you get, the more comfortable you get. And a big part of improv too is failure. It's not always going to be perfect. Sometimes you're going to say something that isn't uh, exactly what you meant or isn't um, as perfect as it could be. But I think that's one of the lessons of improv is that when you take a risk, sometimes it succeeds greatly and sometimes it fails. So once we get used to that failure, it's a little bit less scary to take a risk. You're certainly right. And this has been an improv. How are we doing? I think we're doing pretty good. We're listening well. Um, you're going to be able to edit it, though, uh, so it won't be as you know improvised as, it, as maybe it could be. But at the same time, remembering that really active listening and responding genuinely, really, that's all that improv is. I'm going to say yes to that. <laughs> awesome. Amy, this has been absolutely fantastic. Where can our listeners learn more about you? I have a website. You can check it out at amyshostak.ca. And if you're ever in Edmonton, visit Rapid Fire Theatre. Uh, they have shows every week. You can visit rapidfiretheatre.com. Great. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I love the idea that an awareness of and some practice in improv skills can improve almost anybody's situation in many workplace environments or any workplace environment where collaboration, careful listening, and constructive responses are required for any real progress to take place. So lawyers, teachers, police personnel, and business people, not to mention medical personnel, take heed, please. And it's true that most professional actors consider improv a valuable addition to their performance skills. You know, Fred, one of my favorite interviews with actors on acting took place on one of our visits to Hollywood. Well, I remember a wonderful week doing interviews by the pool at the Chateau Marmont with a stream of our pals coming by to see us, perched above the legendary Sunset Boulevard. 
We talked about a variety of amazing topics with terrific guests, but I was particularly impressed by your friends, the Floric Brothers, Dan and Dave, and their description of how actors need to prepare for the different demands of stage and screen. You know, if you look up Dan, double N, Floric, and Dave, single V, Floric, and read their track records. Look them up on IMDb. On IMDb or Wikipedia, you will see what amounts to a history of television and film over the last 30-odd years. And both, of course, have had uh, a time on the boards as well as on the screen. These gentlemen have been in everything. Law and Order, CSI, you name it. One of the things we we chatted with with Dan about uh, in a previous interview had to do with the shifting of gears uh, from uh, a stage to screen and and whether or not they were really two parallel and separate skill sets or if in fact uh, they were transferable skills. I'd be very interested in the guy's take on that because they have done both. What do you say we give uh, Dave the first word on that? Well, as far as the skills, in my opinion, between theater and television and film, those are the same. You're always trying to find the truth of something, go moment to moment, be honest, and all that. The biggest difference is, for me, in television, the camera can get in so tight that you can do much less. But the heart of it is the same. I agree with that. I think all of that, the truth, the emotion, what you have to do, staying true to the story, all of that is the same. But I find that the approach is different enough that I know people who are wonderful on film and cannot do it on a stage and vice versa. And I've seen stage actors who are in my estimation, genius, but they don't seem to be able to back it off when you get the camera in close. And they really are two different disciplines, and it's really important in both ways, but important when it's television and film to understand what the camera's doing, learn what the lenses are, know where it is, so that you can back it off proportionately and it will cut together as a whole. The other thing which I love in the theater is the rehearsal process. And working in television, in my experience, you get so little of that. I mean, if you sh- show up and do it. That takes a, uh, a different mindset. I just wanted to say along those lines, that's why with such limited rehearsal in general, you do as much of that work as you can yourself. You do it before, you do everything you can to be as comfortable with your words and what you have to do so that when they just start moving you around and you're going to go action, you go. But the other thing I've learned and one of the things I like about television and film and doing that is sometimes you you just have to shoot from the hip. And what I like about that is I've always felt for me, acting is you prepare completely and then you empty yourself and see what happens. Because you will, have, you will tell the truth. Whatever happens, you will tell the truth. And so I kind of like when it's exploding right in front of you sometimes. You know what I mean? You can surprise yourself. I think to your point about it being not over-rehearsed or fresh and it's exploding in front of your face, because as prepared as you are in television now, you've gone over it and over it and over it, you still don't know what the other guy's going to say or sound like, what his rhythm's going to be. You have to get that right then. You can't prepare for what you're going to get from the other guy. The other thing I was going to say about rewrites was I did a series a number of years ago called Grace Under Fire. We would do a show, I think it was like at 4 in the afternoon. Then we would do, when the 7.30 show came, rewrites. We'd do the scene and oftentimes have then different rewrites. We were learning it 
sometimes three different scripts for three different shoots, you know, and it, so it was kind of on the fly. Now, your short-term memories must be phenomenal to be able to do this. I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, if you don't worry about it, the minute you worry about it, that line's not going to come out. But if you're there, and you also know, it's more, it's more difficult for what you were saying, because you had an audience when you do Grace Under Fire. And when I'm doing the show, if I need 15 takes to get that new line, we'll get it. Now, you don't usually, I don't usually need that, but you know that there's a safety net there, you know, without the audience. Plus, I think the audience sometimes, because I've done a number of sitcoms, they actually kind of like being in on it. You know, if you make a mistake and go, oopsie, you know, whatever, they kind of like that, that they're included. You know what I mean? And in terms of that short-term memory, you just made me think of how many times you see the guy with the script in his back pocket so that, you know, just before the take, you, all right, I got it. <laughs> and you go. And I mean, you, you, got the, you got it in your pocket. I do it all the time. And I'll tell you what, even if I don't look at it, I know it's there. It's rare that if all of a sudden I go, who's got a script? Who's got sides? Because I have it. And I've usually looked at it. And even though I know it, it's just like anything else doing theater. You look at it again, a different word may pop. You know what I mean? Something may make different sense to you and you go, that's what I'm going to do. So what I take away from that discussion is that preparation for a role on stage or on screen is a, a rather fluid process that leads right up to and through the performance itself. But once you're actually into the performance, you need to abide by the techniques specific to that craft, whether it's stage or screen. Stage actors have to fill an entire theater space with their voice and presence. And on screen, performers need only fill the camera frame but of course remain constantly aware of the image that will be seen by the eventual viewer. I know carving out a successful career in acting is a lifelong learning experience and the most successful professional performers never stop honing their skills or increasing their creative challenges. And then every once in a while, you have an individual for whom the professional performances may begin at a young age without any real formal training where a certain level of success comes first, and then the need for more training arises. Rare, but it happens. Vancouver-based Travis Lil T. Turner began acting in theater and singing around the age of six and grew into quite a career in live music venues and school plays. He had always done what came naturally to him, but got to a point where he felt he needed a more formal approach to the craft of acting, especially if he wanted to get into television and film. And he did. And I had a chance to speak to him about how he went about it. Travis is a perfect example of an artist starting small in several senses of the word and building some impressive credits. Fred, he's appeared in Battlestar Galactica and Supernatural. And he's had impressive roles for NBC, Nickelodeon, Teletoon, YTV, Netflix, and Disney. Let's go to your interview with Travis now. No matter how good you were in the early years and in high school, you also made a decision to take some formal training in film. 
Can you tell us what led you to make that decision? So I kind of always knew, because I did theater growing up, that I wanted to do film and television. And I knew I needed to work on that. I didn't know how badly I needed to work on that until I got there. Because I'm thinking, like, in my own head, I'm like, oh, like, I'd won, like, Alberta One Act Festival and, like, little things at my school. I was in the drama in the the yearbook. And, like, I did a professional play in grade 10, Lord of the Flies, that I actually got paid for. So I felt like I had a pretty good grasp. And I'm... I'm like, oh, I'm going to knock it out, the, you know, know how to do it. And then I really had to learn how to transition from theater to film, right? And and I really thank Langara for that and helping. And they're a great program because you get to actually work with directors and writers and you get to learn how to produce and other actors. So you really have a good group of people when you graduate too, or we worked on other, you know, our first feature together. And also they even helped me build a demo reel, which is like crucial in getting you know, an agent, I feel like. And they even gave me a recommendation, Carol Kelsey at the time. She was a casting director in town. And so she introduced me to a few agents. So I think that school has so much to do with it. Langara College in Vancouver, three streams in their film arts program. You go in as either a writer, director, or a performer, and you were in the performance stream? Yes, so I was in the acting stream, and then we all uh, learned to produce. Some of the material that comes out of that in a student production can be your best foot forward on a demo reel, can't it? Yeah, definitely. Like when you're first starting out and you don't have much to put on your resume, I think it's great, and they want to see some acting ability. In addition to all the technical proficiency you have in the performing arts, you also are a business person. In fact, incorporated your own company. Tell us about that. If you make over $30,000 a year, you're going to start to want to look at getting incorporated. Um, You can use that for things like write-offs. So um, when you're furthering your career, you might want to make websites. You want to update your demo reels, your IMD Pro, your casting workbook, your coaching. And you know, want to touch on, I I get coaching every audition. And I think that's great because it's a write-off and then I'm not going in cold into the room. So there are things that you're going to want to do to help further your career. And so covering that business end is going to help you. And at the end of the year, if you owe the tax man a bunch of money (laughs) you're not going to get so far so you have to keep on top of that kind of things even though most artists aren't going to want to do that ah yes the business of show business using the cost of staying in business from special skills lessons to costumes to books and even office supplies to keep your taxes low and your career long Young Travis Turner has a handle on the business end. And I found it interesting that for Travis, enrolling in a course of study where instructors already have connections in the industry was a great help to him in finding an agent, getting great looking demo reels and creating a string of references behind him that could get him all the tools he would need for a successful foray into a career as an actor. Stage, screen, radio, podcasts, whatever media you choose to pursue, there will always be people ready to help you pursue your goals. And by seeking out teachers, mentors, accountants, lawyers, you will also be helping them to pursue their professional goals. Yep, it's a win-win situation. And right now, it's a bye-bye situation as we focus on compiling our next themed episode. Any final words, Fred? Only that if any of our listeners wish to get more information on the Langara College Film Arts program that Travis mentioned, you can listen to episode 84 of our podcast. That's our interview with the head of Film Arts program, 
Garwin Sanford, himself a very successful actor and director. And if you take our advice and go on to IMDb, the International Movie Database, imdb.com, and look up Dan and Dave Florek, the last name Florek, F-L-O-R-E-K. That's how it's spelled. Dan has two N's in it. Dan with two N's, Dave with one V, Florek. Well, everyone, that's all for now. On behalf of Marv and yours truly, we'll be back next week. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.